John chapter 6. And we're closing out a section where Jesus was teaching that he was the bread from heaven. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. What is your response to Christ? How are you responding? And uh, 24 hours before this sermon, within that proximity, Christ has done a miracle uh, of stupendous uh, impressions. 5,000 men, we don't know how many women and children, but a, a good number of people were fed with a boy's lunch, two fish, five little barley loaves. Christ walks across the Sea of Galilee to the other side to Capernaum. He winds up in Capernaum at the synagogue and he preaches the sermon on I am the bread from heaven. Now these people, all they had on their mind was bread. But it's bread with peanut butter. Bread with fish. They had no clue of a spiritual message that would be pivoted off the miracle. They wanted to be fed. They wanted physical sustenance. They'd already been fed tw within 24 hours. They're hungry again. Christ goes into this magnificent message. I am the bread. And if you eat this bread, you'll never hunger again. You'll never be thirsty again. I am the bread that's greater than the bread that was in the wilderness with Moses. I am the bread. You've got to eat me and drink my blood. And he was pushing the analogy. Bread doesn't have blood. Bread doesn't come out of heaven like Christ did. But he said, you must take me in like you would assimilate food. That a Christ in the warehouse doesn't mean he'll quench your thirst or your hunger. You must partake of Christ. We've been preaching Christ here for 41 years, and some of you still may not be saved. 
Some of you may leave this ministry and never be saved because the bread is outside of you. You have to, by faith, assimilate it. Believing Christ is eating Christ, drinking his blood, coming to him. So, after the sermon, instead of a Billy Graham mass response, the attrition begins, and this signals the end in John's gospel of his popularity. He's already fled Judea. Now he's in Galilee of the Gentiles. After this, the numbers are going to get thinner and thinner and thinner because Christ has become super controversial with this sermon. And there's four responses that happen. There is the response of the crowd, whatever that crowd numbered at this time. There's a group of people that he calls disciples that many of his disciples turned around and went back. Obviously, they were following him for miracles and to see what he was going to say, but they wouldn't be what you would say, born again, regenerate. They were hanger-oners. They liked the loaves. They liked the fishes. Uh, they liked to hang out with Christ. But this sermon so offends that they depart after this sermon. Then you have the 12, and Peter speaks up for them. But what Peter doesn't know, nor the other 10 guys, nobody in the apostolic band knew one of them did not know Christ, and not only did he not know Christ, but he was destined to betray Christ. They never discerned what his role would be, had no idea. So uh, let's look at four things. Uh, the teachings of Christ that are hard to swallow. You know, there's a lot of things in the Bible I, I wish it wouldn't have said. I have to preach a lot of stuff that I don't get goosebumps over. I just, I have no choice. I didn't write the Bible. I preach it. I didn't write the letter. I just delivered in the mail. If you get a bad bill from Sears, don't go out and stone the mailman. It's Sears you want to get mad at. So if you don't like the message, don't stone the messenger until they get a new pastor. <laughs> get the next pastor. I'm getting old and tender. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that Christ taught in this sermon that you wouldn't like. Let me tell you some of them. Uh, things like, uh, you're telling us that you're not in the physical food business. We want you to take care of our felt physical needs. If you'll feed us, if you'll give us a new car, and you'll prosper us, we might hang out with you. But when you make all this stuff spiritual, I get hungry about twice a day. Where will you be? He said, I didn't come to start a food program. I came to tell you about a bread in the analogy that comes from heaven. That, and they never made the transfer to a spiritual reality. They just never missed it. It confused them. They were taken back. Uh, another thing that Christ kept saying in the message was verses like this. Look at verse 37. Let's see if you'll get mad. 
uh, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then you go over here to verse 65. This is why I told you that no one can come. He's just told, telling us that Judas is going to bail out. Then he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now, now, now hear me. Here, here. We do not like this teaching. They didn't like it. We don't like it. You know what it is? You think you're in charge of what you do with God. And God's telling them, I'm in charge of what I do with you. And if I don't make you come, if I do not draw you, overcome your resistance, and draw you in like the nets that the word's used of, or drag you into court like Silas and Peter, unless I overcome. You see, you think you're in charge of God. And he keeps saying, in this area of getting to this banquet table, you can't get to it without a divine inscribed invitation, and only the Father sends the invitations. God's in charge of whether you come to this feast. And the only way we'll know that he's working in you is you'll come. You'll come. You'll believe. Don't try to figure out if he's invited you or not. Just act like he has. Just come. Just believe. Don't try to figure it out, the hidden motives and purposes of God. Just come. He says, come. He says, eat, partake. But they didn't like that. It was offensive. We pick what we want. We are in charge. And God says, you aren't even in charge of who you're going to be born to. You don't get to pick the color of your skin. You don't get to pick your mama. You don't get to pick your daddy. You don't get to pick which country you're born in. You don't get to, you're not in charge of hardly anything, honey. You're just not in charge. Well, I'm an American. Well, that's another problem you've got. You think you're in charge of everything. You're not in charge. God didn't destine America to rule all the nations. He's going to do that over in Israel. We'll come under somewhere. But it just kind of made them break out in hives. We don't like this. You're telling us we can't, we come to this bread each time we want to, well, try it, come. And the only ones that come are the ones the Father has given to the Son. Wow. Uh, they didn't like the fact that Jesus claimed to be greater than Moses. How dare you take on, uh, not Abraham, but Moses, kind of the founder. They didn't go back to Abraham's faith. They went back to a lawgiver. And Moses gave us the bread in the wilderness, which was not true. So he explodes that myth. They did not like him saying he was the bread. They were never going to eat a man's flesh or eat a person. Uh, they didn't make the transfer. They were insulted. Are you inviting us to cannibalism? Not at all. 
Do you see the, the analogy? They did not. He said things like this to very devout Jewish people. There's not a thing you can do to earn eternal life. Because they said, what can we do? What works can we do to get this bread you're talking about? He said, the only work you can do is believe. Men have been stumbling over that for years. By George, I'm a nice guy. You know what I like about pastoring in our area? I don't have to work too long on most people to convince them they're a sinner. They grew up in the Bay Area. We're not having many problems with self-righteousness, honey. I'm saying, when did you get out? How long you been on the streets? Say, no, no, I'm a sinner. I know that. Don't have, I'll tell you, I, I'm built for this crowd. I'm not built for that self-righteous crowd. No. See, I know where I ought to have gone, left, but the Father gave me a personal invitation and handed me to the Son. That's why. That's why. And uh, I don't know. I feel more comfortable around sinners than the self-righteous. Just folks that know they're bankrupt. And so he goes on, I know what I've said seems hard. Uh, and then when he says this, why don't you get a, a hold of some bread that you'll never hunger again? You've got to be out of your mind. Even Moses didn't have that kind of bread. He said, I know. I'm the bread. I'm the one. I can quench your hunger forever. That is an astounding thing. Once a man or woman comes to Christ, he quenches the gaping hole of the heart with himself. And there's enough Jesus to fill an empty heart. Oh, you need him. So they're, they're very upset with his hard teaching. And then, of course, he goes on to them, why do you find it so hard to believe? Notice what he says. Um, he says, uh, do you take offense at this? Do you? then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Uh, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. I think it's the idea they give the Spirit and they give eternal life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Um, I often ask, what will it take for God to get you to believe him? I think of these people, less than 24 hours, they've seen an incredible miracle. Chapter 4, some of them may have seen the healing of the nobleman. Some of them, who knows, could have come over from Samaria where the revival broke out with this changed woman's life. Some might have talked to Nicodemus in chapter 3. They might have been at the wedding of Cana of Galilee in chapter 2. Who knows? His reputation's going everywhere. People are showing up to see the miracles. And yet, they won't believe him. They won't put their trust in him. Uh, they like to watch him perform. They like the miracles. Uh, I mean, it was the best show in Palestine. No one could do what this man could raise the dead. We've got a sea walker here. We've got a bread maker. And yet, they did not believe. And uh, I think that's maybe why he mentioned 
It's only the Holy Spirit that gives you life. The flesh is no help at all. You see the Trinity in this section. The Father gives you to the Son. The Father draws you. Here, the Spirit helps you because left to yourself, your flesh could never find God. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2? That the wise men of this age never knew they were crucifying the Lord of glory. Corinth was in love with Athens. They loved Plato. They loved Socrates. They loved PhDs. They loved Cal Berkeley. They loved earthly wisdom. And he said, the world by its wisdom, by its PhD programs and philosophy, never figured out who Jesus was. How do you figure it out? The Spirit of God alone and the drawing of the Father makes you seen for who he really is. He is a miracle worker, yes, but he is the bread, the, the water that wasn't in the well. He is the life changer of John 2 that could turn the water to wine. He can take the water of your life and turn it into something miraculous. It takes the Spirit of God to paint the picture. Did you know the majority of people up until this time that have come to Christ did not have PhDs? How many are in this room? Go. Raise it up. Don't be ashamed. Wait. One. Got your PhD. One. You got a PhD. No? You got it? One. Anywhere. Two. Anyone else? I got a doctor, but it's not a PhD. It's a demented. Uh, any others? Two. You mean he saved the rest of us dummies? <laughs> Through the word and the spirit, the word he speaks gives life. And the words he gives, the Holy Spirit had to do a work in your heart. And any of you really, were you really saved before you were 13? Anyone? I mean, for sure, sure enough. You still got it before 13. I wonder what their IQ level was there. Doesn't matter. There's not, nothing wrong with getting an education. But he said, the world by its wisdom never knew God. Well, how in the world do we get to know him? The words of Christ penetrate the heart through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can take a farm boy, a native in a country, someone that you have saved and nobody so far down the ladder socially, they can never know. They know. They know. It's all the university crowd that don't know. They don't know as a whole. How can you get to the table? The Spirit comes and delivers the invitation of the Father. says, he wants you to come, and he convinces you you come, and you get it, you understand it. It's a work of the Spirit. The flesh can never get you born again. He said that. They're not born of the flesh. They're not born of the will of man. They're not born out of bloods. They're born out of the will of God. You are a divine miracle. You really are. And so they find it hard to believe because their eyes are darkened. They're thinking physical, not the spiritual reality before them. They just totally miss it. 
And all of a sudden, uh, I think it's interesting, the spokesman for the 12 speaks up. And uh, he said, I'd like to uh, say something. Jesus said, many of my disciples are going back. Notice that. Uh, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, do you think these guys were saved? Some of you would. The word disciples used various ways in John. Here, I think it is just guys that were following the law but didn't have a heart relationship. They were there for the loaves and the fishes. Christ said that. I can get a crowd. And you guys are following me, but this teaching I just gave, you're going to turn from me today, and no longer will you be associated. Listen to that. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I mean, this was a crowd-dispensing dis sermon. They didn't get it, and they turned on him. It's almost, I wish I knew the tone by which Christ said these following words. I wish I could capture it. I can't do it in the language. I don't know how, but it's, uh, on one hand, I want to think it sounds almost um, pitiful, but I, I, don't, I can't make it say that. You know, that don't tell me you're going to leave me too. I'm not, I don't know that he says that way. Or is it, is it one of shock? Are you guys going to leave me too? I wish we could capture the tonality. I, I, I don't know what it is. But I'm wondering, if I had a bunch of you just leave this church all at once, and I'm left with a few, I don't know that I wouldn't say, you're not going to leave too, are you? You don't like that. But... Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Simon if I leave you, Jesus, I don't know what to go to. I don't know where I'd go. My son-in-law shared with the Timothy class. He told it on himself, so I feel free to use it. He was talking with Kevin Collins and talking about the various temptations men face and... Uh, and he's basically kind of sharing a temptation to kind of get a sympathetic hearing. And you, you know what I mean. And he was hoping that Kevin would fall in with him. Yeah, man, that's right. But when he got through sharing with Kevin, as I understand it, Sean says, do you ever feel tempted to you know, do this, do that, do this? And Kevin just said, No. And Sean said, come on, you self-righteous. You know, he didn't say that, but 
You know, come on, man, cut me some slack here. Yeah, he said, I said, no. How can you do that? Why do you say no? Well, Sean's been in church a good portion of his life. Kevin spent time in prison, spent time healing up from 39 knife wounds in his body, spent time fleeing guys, running from the police, out there breaking his mother's heart, selling drugs in Panola. He went through a lot of hell before he ever came to Christ and should have been killed and should have been killed for breaking his mother's heart. But when he came to Jesus, he said, I didn't leave anything I want to go back to. I'm not hungry. You remember what Israel did on the wandering? We wish we could go back for some cucumber sandwiches back there with Pharaoh. They forgot making the bricks without straw. They forgot the slavery. They forgot the heat. They forgot the whip on their back. And Peter just says, oh, Lord, if it's not you, I have no one I know I want to go to. There's no one out there that can give me eternal life. You've got a monopoly on it. You've got a monopoly. You know, the young people who backslide the most in our churches are the ones that grew up in the church. Those kids had been saved out of doing everything bad. By the time they get saved, they said, I've had enough of what the hog pen has to offer. But it's kids that grow up that have to go to church, got to obey their folks. They're the ones, I wonder what it's like. I wonder what it's like. If I can just taste the apple, honey, it's as deadly as the first apple. It'll kill you. It will kill you. And Peter says, I don't, there's nothing, Lord, for me to go back to. Nothing. And he goes on, who else can give these words that bring eternal life? And then he says this, we have believed in the past and we still believe. And we've come to know in the past and we still know experientially that you are who you say you are. You are the son of God. Matthew 16, Matthew makes a comment. Jesus said to him, Simon, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my Father who's in heaven made you know this. He made a confession. He didn't talk about himself. He said, you are the Christ. That's what I know. I'm convinced you are Christ. He said, I don't want to go back. But it's amazing among them there was one that wanted to go back. And not will he only go back, but he will betray the Son of God for a measly financial arrangement. Um, the betrayer. I, I find uh, myself troubled by the whole Judas mystery and story. To think of being born and your life's destiny will be to betray the Son of God is deeper, more mysterious I think I wrestled with it all week because I thought, I think I identify with Peter because I know who Christ is, but I could have been born and been a Judas. You know, Judas had a mom. Judas was a, Judas was just a regular guy until the 
Satan took control of him two times. It says in the upper room, Satan entered him. In Luke, he said Satan entered him. And you say, well, boy, the devil had his way with Judas. Well, he had his way with Peter a few times. Do you remember? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ says, you're right, Peter. God showed you this, and I must die. No, you won't. You cannot die. Get behind me, Satan. For you, you don't say what God says. So, so who took control of Peter's mouth for that moment? Have you ever had God and the devil use you in the same day? Huh? I said, God and the devil. And seemingly, you meet the devil when you go home. Not your wife. I'm just saying when you get home. I'm talking about geography. I'm not talking about relationship. Get out of here and preach the word and do something, and you could go and leave this place within an hour, and someone cut you off, or you didn't get the best service, at the, you know, the waitress wasn't good enough, spilt the coffee on your neck, and, and oh boy, can the devil take over. Devil's used all of you. Matter of fact, he was your original father. John 8, 44. Oh, you don't like that? I know you wouldn't. It can't help it. I could care less. So Jesus said, my original father spiritually was the devil. And I was by nature a child of wrath, Ephesians 2. I was by nature headed for divine wrath because I was being energized by the God of this world. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? I don't believe so. But can they be used by Satan? Can they lie to you and get you to buy a lie and you, you act out something that you later regret? And look at in this narrative, what bothers me, if you had your pick, what would you pick? I'd rather betray him if I'm going to do anything, oh, or I'd rather deny him three times. Both men fail miserably before the cross. The only one here that gets the passing grade is the Christ from heaven. Peter sleeps in the garden. Peter tries to chop off the ear of the servant, Malchus, and wants to help God out. And he said, I can call right now 12 legions of angels, a legion 6,000. They killed 185,000 in 2 Kings 19. Multiply 6,000 by 185,000. 12 times that is 72,000 times 185,000. You just see, that's just a little potential what an angel could do. In other words, I've got enough power around here, Peter. I don't need your sword. But you see, Peter had been given to the Son, but it didn't mean he wouldn't fail a lot. There's a difference in betraying and plotting and never believing and believing and still failing and learning to lean. Thank God for Pentecost that changed the failing fisherman into a man he never dreamed he could be. He never denied him again. What about you? How much failing have you done 
since the Father gave you to the Son. And if it was any last love, honey, you would be kicked out of this army because you've run a thousand times. But guess what? His own make it to the other city because he forgives all of our denials, all of our failing, and all of our sleeping on duty. Calvary even paid for everybody to flee. I can't find a faithful person in the Bible, Harley, but Jesus. There's a few. Joseph's nice. I like him. <laughs> I read this in this narrative. You know, I said, well, I'm Peter. Well, you're right on the confession, and you're also right on all the failing. But to be born and to betray. I ask you, have you ever been offered a price for Christ? Have you ever uh, been offered to sell him out? Years ago, I heard the story of the man that wanted to take his yacht to Hawaii, and he wanted to hire him a mistress for the trip and fly her home, but he just needed some female companionship going across, you know. Met this guy at the bar, and he says, hey, I need someone to sail on across to Hawaii. Uh, how about going with me? Not in your life. He said, what about $1,000? He said, what do you think I am? He said, well, okay. How about $5,000? He said, okay. <laughs> and he said, well, okay. How about 1000 She said, you just said five. She said, what kind of person do you think I am? He said, I've already found that out. We're just trying to negotiate price. <laughs> Every person has their price. Everybody has their price. Is there anything this world is offering you to get you to quit following Christ? Maybe you've been sleeping with that girl too long. You never got married. Maybe you're still doing drugs on the side. Maybe you're still heavily into pornography. A lot of things, it's just you, keep, you just won't let go. You won't go all the way. I, I want to keep holding on to this stuff. And Christ is over here says, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. And you're singing, give me some of this world, and I'll take Jesus. Give me a little bit of this world and sin, and I'll take Jesus, maybe you either got faith or unbelief, and there ain't no neutral ground. You're either for him or against him. You're either following Christ, or maybe you've sold out to sin, and sin tastes so good when you get started. It's how it ends. That's when you'll find out the wages it pays. At first, it's delectable. At first, it appeals. At first, there's a rush, but it pays in death. T.S. Eliot wrote The Hollow Men, and he wrote his final lines. So this is how it ends. Not with a bang, but in a whimper. And men in the day, I see you, Ward, whimpering themselves right into eternity, saying, why did I not take Christ?" Why did I sell him out for 30 pieces of silver? I don't know if there's a Judas here today. It scares me 
that you could be the church treasurer and not be saved. And nobody know it. Matter of fact, you can be the pastor. Paul said, you Corinthians, you don't have use for me, but these false apostles that come as angels of light, you vote them in quick because you don't have enough discernment to know they're false. They lie to you. They rip you off. They take your money. Uh, they take your women. They, they walk around as pompous, uh, inflated egos. He said, and you, you cherish them, but I'm out here holding on to a log in the Mediterranean. I'm going without meals. I'm being whipped. I'm being hated. I'm suffering, and you despise me. Maybe the true test of all sincere following is what you'd be willing to suffer to know Jesus. Job, you couldn't love God enough not to bail out if you suffer. Because God can only give people to love him if he pays them a wage. And Job said, I love God whether he pays me any wages or not. He can have my children. He didn't say this, but he wound up. You have my goods. And I'm just amazed that God didn't take his wife. He didn't need her during the trial. She kept saying, curse God. Wife, if your husband's going through it, would you encourage him? Quit saying, well, I never knew you'd amount to anything. That's why I married you. No, we need women of strength. I thank for God for the times my wife has rebuked me, preached to me, and held my hands up and said, we're going to hang on until he comes through. Well, uh, how are you responding to the Lord Jesus is the question. Uh, have you already left? It's easy to hang out in church. What I'd hope you do is be saved. Take Christ. Get him in you. Uh, Arthur Pink said, why did he even have a Judas? And he gave a bunch of reasons. I don't like hardly any of them, but to show you I studied, I'll give them to you. He said, maybe he chose Judas to show off his perfections, to show off that uh, he could put up with a lot. Imagine Christ knew all the while that he wasn't saved. He knew. He was never fooled about Judas. And just think, if you had to run around with someone for three years and build your kingdom, build your followers, and all the time the plan of God says, and you'll always have a devil in your midst some assignment. Uh, Pink goes on to say, maybe he put Judas there to be an impartial witness that Christ was really God. Because you remember what uh, Judas did? He went back to the priest, he threw the money at their feet, and he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. And this is a devil watching every move of Christ. And he says, the problem isn't with this man, it's me. Matter of fact, I can't even keep the money I sold him out for. Maybe to show us the awfulness of sin, that I am amazed, three locations for sin. The third heaven, when Satan rebels. The Garden of Eden, when it's paradise. 
and man rebels, and a follower of Christ, I can't imagine you hanging out with me for three years and not bail out. But Christ, could you imagine Judas in hell? I could have never had more opportunity. I never could. There was no imperfect preacher in Judas's life. I've been next to the Son of God. I've slept where he slept. I've prayed where he prayed. I kept the bag of money for the disciples. And I still wouldn't partake of the bread. I'll die without the bread. I'll die betraying. It gives a solemn warning to all that hear Christ's word. We don't talk about sin or judgment today because we're all caught up with felt needs. Well, honey, I want you to feel this need. Without Christ, you're eternally destined to be separated. You're, the greatest need you need to feel is I need him. I need Christ. I want Christ. And you know, in your heart, be running as fast as you can. He's the only one. Over here, I, they can cut me an ounce and they can sell me a woman, but they can't give me eternal life. I need eternal life. I can't get it anywhere else. And us preachers can't give it to you. You've got to get higher than some mere weak, puny preacher. The head of the church is in a bunch of frail preachers. The head of the church is a risen Christ. He offers himself. I can't save any of you. He can save. He can save. He can save. And then we must admit, still quoting Pink, uh, that there will always be imposters connected to the work of God. Astounding statement. And then he says, God's ways are not ours. And I want to say, you're not kidding. I can't imagine putting a devil around Christ for three years when he needed a friend, when he needed. What are you to Christ? Are you his? Are you following? Are you here playing church? Are you coming here because you like a few of the songs and you can put up with my preaching? Or do you know Christ? I was with some sisters yesterday at their Bible study luncheon. You know the most precious thing? I sensed they knew Jesus. That sounds trite, doesn't it? Well, isn't everybody in this church saved? No. You're here. You know where you are. You know if you know him or not. I was in church a long time before I knew him. My brother Dave and I, we grew up in church. Dave didn't get saved till his 20s. I mean, you can be, you can, you can hang out. I mean, we were raised by Christian parents. We, we had no choice. It was torture. I hated to go to church. Why not? When you're that guilty, who wants to be reminded? But you know what? The father prevailed, and he, he drew, and he gave, and I came. And I've been born from above. And I'm never going to perish. And nobody can kick me out. Nobody. 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 Our Father, I pray if there be someone acting like a Judas, selling out the Son of God in their lifestyle and choices, 
arrest them, draw them by your spirit, and bring them to a place, bring them to a place of saying, you are the son of God, you alone give eternal life. I take you, Lord Jesus. I want you. My old friends can't save me. My old habits, only you, you and only you save. And Father, I think of all of us, we identify so much with Peter. And a lot of times we're always talking about his frailties, his failings. But I thank you that even us failing, frail sinners, you can show us who you are and enable us to believe. Lord, we long to be loyal to you, but we don't boast of it as we know how frail 24 hours can make us. We can be speaking for God and Satan get a hold of our mouth within hours. We're frail, Lord, but I thank you that the Lord Jesus is the Son of God, the Holy One of God, the only giver of eternal life, and he is the food that satisfies forever. Oh, Lord, we bless your name. If there's anyone here today that's lost, may your spirit do the work that must take place to open their eyes and let them flee the wrath that is coming. Let them flee to Christ, and then they'll find out, I've been living on carrion. I've been living on the garbage dump of this world. I finally got to the bread from heaven. Finally got to that fresh loaf of eternal life in Jesus only. You are Lord. You are holy.